You might be taking three steps forward and two steps back. It might look like a windy road of a river, but you're going to get from where you are today to where you want to be. And it's going to be real change, not just putting another Band-Aid because holistic care can get a little greenwashed in my opinion. So the body's the only thing that can heal itself. And our job is to remove the obstacles that are in the way to lower the inflammation and to allow the body to find balance again. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. My guest today is Trish Mangold, and she is quite a guest. I don't know, I think the first time I met her was here in Cyprus, in Limassol, and she came off a ship called The World. That's something that I want to talk about. Next thing, I see her in Los Angeles at the Global Woman Conference. And uh, then when I go, I, of course, I stalk my people on the, on social media. She's all over the place. So we're going to find out. She is a holistic health practitioner, but she's so much more than that. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Trish Mangold. <laughs> oh, hi, Elizabeth. It's so good to see you again. Um, yeah, I was so grateful that we got to meet in person. And, you know, very quickly after I met you, I felt like I was just catching up with an old friend for coffee. So I just really love your energy. and. I'm so excited to be chatting with you this morning. Well, the feeling is very mutual. I really do feel like I have known you for a long time. Maybe I have, you see, maybe we've known each other in a previous life. We never know. Never know. So tell me, let's start this like I usually do. When were you on a plane for the first time? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question because um, I feel like I've been traveling my since I was as long as I can remember. Um, I grew up in... Uh, let's see, California, Southern California, Laguna Beach. And until I was seven, and then my um, I moved with my mother, we moved to Australia, we went there for a three month holiday, she had met an Aussie in Southern California, here in Laguna Beach, and we moved up, we went over there for a three month holiday to see where this was going. And they fell in love. And then we uh, came back to the States, packed up our stuff and, and moved all the way to Brisbane, Australia. And it was um, a journey that began in 1987. And I lived there until I was um, 19 and 1999. Um, but in between all of that, I was back and forth on the planes to see my father every year. So that was back in the day when we had to go from LAX to Honolulu, Honolulu to Auckland, Auckland to Sydney, Sydney to finally Brisbane and this little, you know, little Trish running around sitting next to, I've had amazing stories sitting next to nuns who were convinced that my parents were sitting in first class while I was you know, sitting in economy with them and <laughs> sitting next to basketball players and, and having amazing conversations, which I think kind of later on gave me some tools in life to like be able to talk to anybody. So it was pretty cool. Well, it happens though, doesn't it? It happens that kids sit in uh, in economy and their parents go to first or, or business. But that is so, such an interesting story because you said you were seven when you moved, when you went to Brisbane. Do you remember how you felt that your your life turned upside down? Like you you were used to being in California, that was your home. And suddenly, from more or less, okay, within three months, you had time to adjust a little bit. It was a completely different life. It, it was. And, you know, animals and people are different in Australia. At least it took a little adjustment. I mean, you just made me think of some funny stories. My first week of of going to school, my mom took me a few times and, you know, in the car, of course. And then, but we were walking distance. So she's like, okay, it's, you're on your own. You're going to walk to school. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a little, I, I don't know if I could do this. And she's like, yeah, you can do this. So here I am with my Walkman. I'm walking along the road 
And I hear this like loud clapping noise and I'm listening to, I can remember this like yesterday, like listening to Michael Jackson thriller on my Walkman. And I hear this like looking around and no one's around and I'm walking along. And then again, right over my head. And all of a sudden, like the hair on the back of my neck starts standing up. What the heck is going on? And I look up and there's this bird attacking, like coming down, swooping by my head. And like, I guess he's smacking his beak or something. And it was the freakiest thing. I instinctively just took my backpack off. I start swinging it around my head and I'm, I'm just kind of running. And I finally make it to school. And I'm I'm like, I tell all the kids, I'm like, you're not going to believe this, but there was this bird attacking, like swooping down at me or flying down at me by my head. And they said, oh, yeah, that's the magpie. So you you don't walk on that side of the road because that's where they nest. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking? <laughs> so here we are. So then wait till I got home and told my mom. I'm like, mom, I can't walk to school anymore. There's birds. The birds were attacking me. She's like, come on, get you know. She just thought I was telling a, a good story, but no, that was a true story. So that was my first experience. Um, probably the first couple of weeks as a young child walking to school, and but I quickly became friends with um, with a uh, an an Irish family who immigrated when she was four years old and we became best friends. We're still friends to this day. I was in her wedding. And um, so we still keep in touch and we've traveled around Ireland together. She used to live in the UK after school, like after we graduated. And um, so we had some fun adventures in all corners of the world, but um, yeah. And another funny thing, like even the school children in Australia for public schools, they wear school uniforms, which I really appreciated. So that was one really cool plus about going to school in public schools in Australia. Um, and then the other thing was I thought was really odd was children would take off their shoes during recess and run around like wild kids and just playing the play on earth. And But they always had to have hats on, which I think they're very sun smart there, which gave me some appreciation for, for that growing up. Um, but yeah, those are like the f- few little nuanced details, but. Yeah, it's very yeah, but you see, I think today, you know why they took their shoes off. You know, they were grounding. Today, we actually talk about this. It's actually a thing because we never, ever touch the earth anymore. So they were way ahead of us. And I think the sun thing is a big, big deal because as a child in Switzerland, I grew up in the countryside and I was outside in the summer, even doing work and helping I never even knew there that there is such a thing as sunscreen until, I don't know, until I was 20 or something. So there are a few things that we can learn from each other all over the world. And yeah. uh, that sounds mm-hmm. fascinating. So the only thing that you did have that, that Brisbane and, and uh, California did have in common was the beach. At least you had the sea or were you on the sea? Yeah, Brisbane is on yeah. the sea. Isn't it? So, we were on the sea. We lived in a small town. Well, when we first moved there, we were a little inland, but then we moved to a small seaside town that had a marina. So it's the just the other edge of the Pacific, I guess. You can look at it that way. But much warmer there. I prefer the Southern Hemisphere Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still connected in any way to Australia? Do you go at all? Is um, your mom she is, and I'm very much connected to Australia. And it's been this last few years have been the longest that it's been for me to be away from Australia since I left. Um, I usually go back every couple of years at least, and um, it's been I can't even I don't even want to admit how long it's been. It's been too long, so it's time. Um, I'm actually planning on going to New Zealand in in January, and I'm probably planning a retreat there while my husband's going to be playing golf with some buddies and planning a retreat for the ladies and my mom will probably meet us over there and um and then we'll go to Australia to visit and Love do the rounds. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I um, I did Australia round trips as a tour guide and I just loved every single bit, but I actually have never been to Brisbane. We used oh. to go to, we used to fly to Cairns and then do the Barrier Reef, of course, and the Atherton Tableland, but I have never been to Brisbane. So maybe I should join. But your retreat is in, in, in New Zealand. That's something we can talk about. Now we're just jumping from one place to the other, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. You organize retreats. What do you do, Trish? Uh, okay. So, you know, I'm a holistic health practitioner and I don't really like to really attach myself to the titles. The I have some other, uh, you know, master herbalist and aromatherapist and clinical nutritionist, but really what I do is I'm a guide and I'm a facilitator and I help, I, I provide like a framework for um, people to reclaim their life and strengthen their relationships and connection to self and confidence and joy and using modern science and um, tools in the frequency realm. Um, it really offers personalized level care that um, that's never been offered before from the comfort of home or while you're on the go. So and these are things that most of our doctors aren't talking about. So I think it's, um, I'm on a mission to really reach, you know, I'm a, on a mission to reach a million women because I think women are nurturers and we can really, um, once we crack the code on our own hormones and when we're feeling our best, we're the ones that can really make big impact and change the world. So we're at a paradigm shift and we need to we need to change and fill in the gaps in our health in our healthcare system. We need to stick together. And I also believe that we need to take full responsibility because there is always a pill, isn't there? Um, right. I remember at the at the conference that we were together in in, in LA, I, I was talking on a health, I don't know, was it a health panel? Or I was talking on a panel and I was actually saying, you know, we need holistic medicine. We do need medicine. We do need, I, I, because my 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 funny example is always when you break your leg, you cannot have a chamomile tea. But right. <laughs> because, but you don't need chemicals or, or, or sometimes massive interventions for a small thing. And I think medical doctors, most of the time, that's all they know. Or yeah, that's all they want to give. Maybe they yeah. know. Yeah, some, most of the time I feel like it's just a lack of knowledge. And knowledge is power. Now that we know the emerging science behind things, um, we really, we have that power. And I have that responsibility to move that movement forward, I believe. Um, because the science, I don't know if you're into um, epigenetics, but the science of epigenetics is telling us, you know, 97% is our responsibility. So then you'll have the people that are like, well, you know, that sounds kind of hard. But I guide people on the path of least resistance. And in the quantum field, you're making leaps and bounds. You might be taking three steps forward and two steps back. It might look like a windy road of a river, but you're going to get from where you are today to where you want to be. And it's going to be real change, not just putting another Band-Aid. Because holistic care can get a little greenwashed, in my opinion. So the body's the only thing that can heal itself. And our job is to remove the obstacles that are in the way, to lower the inflammation, and to allow the body to find balance again. Yes, I am into. I'm a huge fan of, of uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and uh, he—that's oh. where I actually a few years ago got introduced to um, to all this and 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 understood. I mean, more and more because I think once you wake up a little bit and you understand that you are responsible, you have to take responsibility for for your life is the result of all the decisions that you ever take. And if you decide to eat unhealthy food, then you are also responsible for the consequences that that does to you and whatever else. You right. know, all the bad stuff we do to our body sooner or later appears. 
well, everything in moderation too. I don't mean, you know, go out and eat bad stuff, but you know, sometimes we could be doing all the things and still not getting results that we want. And we get frustrated and we feel like, you know, why isn't it working? And, um, there's, there's some simple reasons, but most of the time we, we, we're so quick to grab the pill, the over the counter thing to mask it, relying on coffee to get through the day and, and um, Advil, and that's just that's just another Band-Aid. So. Yeah, that's true. Moderation and consistency are key. And a little yeah. glass of wine in my world, maybe not in yours, I don't know, oh. has yes, never please. done any harm. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> now, we, we, now we have become very serious for a minute, but I want to yeah. go back to your fun life. When I met you in Cyprus, you came off a ship called The World. And I was fascinated because I hadn't known that there is such a ship. This is a ship which is not cabins that you or, or like hotel rooms that are normally on a cruise ship. It's apartments. Tell me about The World. Yeah, it is fascinating, actually. Um, yeah, it was an opportunity that... Uh, they're all you know, those condos on this boat. So it's a floating condo basically, and it's owned by the residents and they're residents of the world, literally people from all over the world and um, fascinating people. Actually, we met uh, a couple that had twin boys and they had been living on the ship for four years uh, since the boys were just about one full time. We met, you know, Dr. D Martini was on the board and I had kept looking at him thinking, this, you know, why he looks so familiar to me. How on earth do I know this man? And one day we were sitting across from each other having breakfast and I'm like, Dr. Martini. it dawned on me. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, I just put it together. I'm like, he's like, come over and have lunch uh, breakfast with me. So we sat down and had a great conversation and he told me his story and I shared mine. And I mean, my only regret, and I don't have very many was not getting a photo with him. It's <laughs> story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> because no, you know, in awe when with these people sometimes at this moment and you forget that happens to me yeah yeah so but, he was he, yeah just being in the moment right and and uh he was just a really fascinating guy I mean there's entertainment on board there's restaurants and there's we and we went through a a place like a part of the Middle East and up through the Suez Canal and places that we probably wouldn't normally go to and it was such a uh, an amazing way to see that part of the world and not have to be running through airports and checking in and out and schlepping luggage everywhere. So that was the other nice thing about it. But you yeah. boarded the ship in Saudi Arabia, right? Yes, in Jeddah, actually. So we had a, a night in Jeddah before we we boarded the ship. By the way, they have a direct flight out of LAX to Jeddah on a few days a week. And it was, it was really not bad at all. We flew Saudi Arabia Airlines, which was fabulous. I was surrounded by children. I'm thinking, well, this will be an interesting flight. And those children were amazing. I'm like, did they sedate those kids? Because I didn't hear a peep from anybody. <laughs> yeah. So we, we took a red eye. We, and let me tell you, uh, you know, everyone's like, you're going to Saudi Arabia. That's really interesting. And I'm like, well, why do you say that? And they're like, well, the way they treat women and it's all very conservative and you're going to have to wear a hajib or a burqa. And I'm like, well, I, that's not what I'm hearing. And that's not what my research shows, but we'll see. So we went and um, it couldn't have been more progressive, more um, friendly. Um, people would stop their cars on the side of the road and roll their windows down and be like, welcome to Saudi Arabia. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's probably one of the more friendly, welcoming places I've been to in recent memory. So I would definitely go back. We we didn't have enough time. We were just in Jeddah and that, and there's some parts of the, the desert area that looked fascinating. And speaking of retreats, if I would like to do a retreat out there. 
Oh, that sounds fabulous. And I totally agree. I have not been to Saudi Arabia, but I know a few people. I've done my coaching training in Dubai and there were a couple of ladies from uh, Saudi. And I have never had, I have never met an, an unfriendly or bad person from Saudi Arabia. They are, and, and they are opening up for tourism. I think it's, it's the good, it's a good time to go before it gets, you know, run over like, like yes. um, Dubai and other places. You also stopped in Jordan. Yes, we did. Um, well, we were actually in Eilat. Eilat. I'm not sure if I'm Yeah, that. it's debatable. I say I say Eilat and then it's Eilat. And then I don't know. Maybe somebody will tell us who listens to this. Surely. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. That would be nice. Yeah, we were there and the ship was in, in the marina there. Or not marina, but it was at a commercial shipyard. And um, so we got a little taste of Israel, first time in Israel. And we decided to do a day trip to Jeddah, to Petra, which was perhaps the highlight of the entire trip while we were away. Um, if I just can't even explain the, uh, if you've ever been there, it's walking down that valley and then all of a sudden it just opens up to the treasury and the colors and the, and the symmetry and the, and the fact that that's thousands of years old and no one really knows what tools they used and how they did that because I'm pretty certain we couldn't replicate that today. It was fascinating and it just kept going, 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 going. So it was like a pilgrimage valley. It's not like people actually lived there. It was more from my understanding and what I was told while I was there. So, and um, yeah, the Bedouins, uh, we met some, talked to some local people and everyone was just, again, very positive experience, very friendly. Was, yes, uh, I have been to Petra. I've actually been Jordan. Amman is a 45 minutes flight from here. And I have been living here for so many years. And I only went there the first time three years ago. And I love Jordan, everything about Jordan. And I have exactly the same. I can describe Petra exactly the same way you do. You, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. You know, <laughs> you have been to many places. I've been to many places. I've been to big, like, you know, like I've been to Ephesus or I've been to Mexico or I've been whatever. I've been to Machu Picchu. But the size of Petra is impressive. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Yes. Yeah. And it's very unique, you know, I, I just feel like and it's built right into those cliff sides. And there is so much. It doesn't end. Yeah. You know, you're like, right. first you, as you say, you go through that. It's called the, the seek, I think, that narrow little thing. And then it opens up and it's all there. It's it's a bit like a movie. You know, it's it's, mm -hmm. it's fascinating. And then you went to Egypt. I remember Did you, you went to the pyramids. We did. Um, we stopped in Ansokner first and we we went to a few Coptic monk, um, I guess, places and and. They, you know, uh, showed us their way of life, which was really fascinating. And the Christian monks in Egypt. And then we did it. Yeah, we it was like a two hour drive from the coastline all the way in through, through Cairo and to the pyramids. So that was fascinating, too. I mean, you know, I was bracing myself for a big city and a lot of people and a lot of energy. And then I was, you know, surprised to see the pyramids right there on the outskirts of, you know, the suburbia sprawling into it almost. But I feel like maybe in a past life, I may have been Egyptian. So it was just really special to be there. Yeah, there is a very special energy around those pyramids, isn't there? And I think if you ever get a chance to go back, there is the same very special energy around the temples of Luxor. If you go up the Nile and if you go a little, there's so much. I mean, this area of the world here where I live, has uh, so much beauty and so much beautiful hospitality and is so 
totally misunderstood by the world, you know. When you mention the world Middle East, people even say, oh, you know, it's it, they are dangerous and they're all terrorists. And that is such so so much nonsense. And mm-hmm. uh, an area gets judged by a few, you know, by the few. Like, like I, I, I believe that there is the same amount of good and bad people everywhere in the world you go. Yeah. So then you met me. That was yes. another highlight of your trip. <laughs> you did it was. <laughs> I'm joking. But no. funny enough, from my island in the sun where I live, you flew to my home country. You went to Switzerland. I it's know. Such isn't that it's such an interesting coincidence. That's the way we met. Mm-hmm. And then you went to Switzerland, which was a completely different uh, story. You you took a train to Zermatt. Yes. And uh, we were, you know, it wasn't supposed to, it hadn't been a very impressive snowfall season, apparently. Um, the world was talking about that and people are like, why are you going? And I'm like, why not? <laughs> anyway, we go and we get stuck just outside of Zermatt um, because of the excessive snowfall and an avalanche that they had. So that was an interesting little um, pit stop in that little town. What is that called? I'm forgetting the name right now, but it's just about 15 minutes on the train just before Zermatt. Um, But my gosh, what a charming town when we finally got there, no cars allowed. It's like this little box Canyon and it was a little cloudy. So, you know, um, the Matterhorn was veiled. So we were kind of just enjoying the town as it was the sunset. We had a beautiful apartment overlooking the river and the cemetery and cemetery, I should say, and a little church. And someone said, oh, that's right there is where the Matterhorn is. And I'm like, okay. And and then the next day, the blue skies revealed the Matterhorn and it was in your face. And I can see why it's probably, they claim it's the most photographed mountain in the world. So it's very impressive. And from all angles, like everywhere you go, it looks different the way the light hits it. And yeah, it was fascinating. And we had some fun skiing there. I love the French or the Swiss style. Um, I've never skied in anywhere besides outside of the United North America, really. So actually I I did as a child once in Mount Hotham down in South Australia, but as far as um, everyone's like, it's all about the food and some friends that we met on the world said, Oh, you must go to this restaurant and this restaurant and please send a picture. And so we sent pictures to our friends on the world that we made. And um, yeah, the restaurants there are another level. It's, it's definitely, and I'm, I'm a big foodie. So, and I love, I have a new appreciation for different schnapps too. So that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 could actually call it culinary skiing, you know? It's yes. <laughs> I love Zermatt and it warms my heart to see the Matterhorn, I, I, you know, deep down, even though I've been away for many years, but I am very Swiss. I have a, I have, and I'm also a very proud Swiss. I, I love Switzerland and I love skiing. And this is actually the first winter that I didn't get to ski because I was doing a lot of other things, but that's never going to happen again. I felt like I was missing something at the end of April. So oh. fantastic. But I've watched, of course, as I say, I always study my interview partners and I looked at your stuff you ski in other places you like to ski yes we do I I do um we've hit a few mountains this this season uh Telluride was a first in Colorado and we're actually planning a family uh wedding there this September my husband's daughter is getting married so it should be beautiful hopefully the leaves might just start to turn. So um, we had a fabulous time in January in Telluride um, 
another great spot. Um, wide open trails and we got lucky with bluebird days. We just squeezed in uh, in Big Sky, Montana, just before their closing weekend. And it was like midwinter conditions. It snowed two feet while we were there. <laughs> amazing, so. amazing. And do you ski in, I think you go to Vail. Do you go to Vail or to Aspen? I've seen stuff. You you, you go to yeah. really, really nice ski resorts. And yes. enjoy yeah. my kind we of have, world. Yeah. We have a... Um, a family condo in um, in Vail, so we get we get a chance to go through there throughout the season. And you go, you know, these mountain towns. You go for the the winter, you go for skiing. But when, if you ever get a chance to go in the fall or the autumn, it's just stunning. Like the lights look like they're plugged into electrical sockets. The colors are so vibrant, and it's just and there's so much to do, you know, in the in the summer. Yeah, I miss miss those times when I was a tour guide in the U.S. I used to go through the parks, you know, like Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon, Zion Canyon, all these oh, places. Beautiful. It's it's amazing. I mean, I, I always say that when when people, you know, people often make fun of the Americans because many people don't have a passport. They don't leave their country, but they don't need to because it's such a big country. There is so much to offer from the Atlantic to the Pacific and all the canyons and mountains and Whatever. Um, I understand. I understand there yeah. is so much to do. But of course, the world is big and there is so much more. What other places do you like, Trish? What um, other? My, well, my brother lives in, in Canada. He lives up in um, British Columbia in Whistler. So he's been living there on and off since he was like 18 in between going to college. And he studied abroad in Zagreb, Croatia and the UK So and finished up in Australia. But um, yeah, he's he's up there. So I, I try to get up there to see him. That is, what was your question? Where do I? Where else do we what like? What other go? places do you like, or do you have? It's a bit of a question that I personally don't like, but uh, I'm, I'm asking so you great. anyway. Do you have a Do you have a favorite place in the world? Well, there's certain things that I love about certain places. Like I love the water in the Bahamas. Like I, I'm like I turn into a mermaid there. Like I can't get out of the water. I love. That's my happy place. I just love floating and um, being in sunshine and sand between my toes. <laughs> And not using a hairbrush for a week, if possible. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's parts that are definitely on my bucket list. Um, I did what love... I, I want to yeah. hear that. What's on your bucket list? Because you've been everywhere. So what could possibly um, be on your bucket list? I think parts of Indonesia, like the islands, um, Southeast Asia, I really haven't touched much at all. So I think I think I just always figured it was in Australia's backyard. And if I ever moved back there, it'd be an easy stone's throw away. But it just, yeah. Um, um, Angkor Wat, I think, uh, Cambodia. Yes. yes. Yeah. The Philippines are very beautiful. Philippines. Oh, yes. I would love, and I love Filipino, the culture and the people. They're just amazing in the food. Oh, yeah. I know. Over 7,000 islands and so much to see. Yes, that would be a place for a retreat as well. Maybe we should do one there. That would be fun. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's manifest it. Yes. want to go back a little bit to what you do because um, it will be interesting. What happens during a, a retreat? What do you do with the people that come with you? So the next retreat I'm planning is in Mexico and it's on the Sea of Cortez. And we're, this is a unique retreat. So I like to pull something from the local area and the vibe. We're doing um, horse therapy. So equine therapy, working with the horses and then reconnecting to nature and then kind of finding out who you are, where you think you are the day you arrive. And then where do you want to be? Like what's, you know, how do you, 
what really, you know, a lot of people think they want to go to reset the mind and body, just reconnect to themselves, but you know, it can get deeper than that. Um, so it's fun to peel back the layers because it, it creates a more enriched life and a more enriched experience. So it, sometimes it, no two retreats are ever the same. It just kind of takes a life of its own. I think it depends very much with who comes with you, doesn't it? And and mm -hmm. uh, what what you discover. That is so true. And I think as a retreat leader, or I don't know what you call us when we do these things, I think we at the end also just like, you know, you feel like you're the leader and you're the one who you're the teacher, but you you learn just as much as the people who join you. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about being in a group setting is that people have um they learn from each other and 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 community in sometimes people don't know each other and they become fast friends. Like they keep in touch. There's a sense of community and connection. And I think, I think that's, that's really important. I think um, the sense of community and connection to self as well as to each other. Yes. And, and finding, I don't know. I, I noticed that often there are people that we meet, we meet them, we like them. We, say goodbye and we don't see them again. And then there are other people who we meet and we feel so comfortable and so um, connected in a way. And you, even though I feel a little bit about, about with you about this, I feel like it's somebody that you just instantly like and you feel that you, you just feel comfortable. I think feeling comfortable is the world. Being able to mm -hmm. not have to worry, what should I say now? Or what can I say? Why do you think that is? Do you believe, do you believe in, we are energy. We all know that. Is it, is, life? Yeah. is it life experience? What is it? That's such a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, people often ask me like, you're always around so many people and you're always on the go and you're always meeting, you know, new people and you have, You, but you have your, you know, your, your core too, then like, how do you keep it all together? And don't you get exhausted? I'm actually, but I find myself only making time for people that like, I, I recharge like this right now is recharging me. Like I, 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 I'm with real people, good people. I don't have time for the, anything other than that. So, so yeah. And I think it is energy. I mean, You can walk into a room without a word being shared and you walk right back out of that room because you're like, ah, I didn't like that, whatever that was. And so definitely energy is everything. And that's a big part of the work that I do is, is supporting people's energy with tools that, you know, continue to support their growth and um, connection. Yes, that is absolutely true. And and of course, we know the, the famous word energy suckers and the people that are around us who who um who don't who don't make us feel as comfortable as some others but how do we deal with these people because we still have to deal with them we have to do certain things with certain people that are not on the same frequency as we are what is your take on that what's the best way to handle somebody who is not on your wavelength well usually it's they're vibrating at a lower energy and when you're vibrating at a higher energy they can't help but come up and meet you so sometimes uh you just send so much more love back and it, and it comes back and it's, it's surprising. They'll come around. <laughs> and I agree. Get... It's, yeah. it's lead, leading by example, like walking your talk and, and, uh, and then they just can't help it. That is true. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I think that's today's discovery and on most memorable journeys. It's something that we've all known, but it needs to be said once in a while. Once again, it's so true. Or, If there is no solution, if they do not join you, then it's better better to just avoid them. Yeah, yeah, and that's and and having healthy boundaries is 
like I call it the garden of life. Like you look, sometimes you look for the energy vampires, I call them. So you kind of look where you spend your time. And do you want to spend your time with energy vampires or do you want to spend your time with people that are uplifting and inspiring and positive and, you know, looking to grow rather than keep remunerating on the darkness. You got to move towards the light. And there is darkness and that's part of life. And I think, you know, the shadows make you appreciate the light. So you have to have it all and it ebbs and flows. Very beautiful. And I also think that as you know, there is darkness and bad things happen to all of us. But I think it's important to understand that as long as nothing bad happens, we shouldn't worry so much because we usually spoil the good times by thinking that something could happen. And that's such a shame. I think being in the now and enjoying the good times when they happen and then we'll deal with the whatever because we yeah. have to, we all do. So yeah, beautiful, very beautiful. So Trish, we're already, time flies when you're having fun. We're getting oh, coming wow. to the end. You're flying to Paris, I heard. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, Thursday night, just in a few yeah, I've got to start packing a bit. Is it? Is, <laughs> is it? Do you like now. Paris? Is it? Is this a, a trip that you're mm-hmm. looking forward to? You know, I'm looking forward to experiencing Paris in a different light. Um, we're going for the French Open, and um, just spending a long weekend there. Really, I'm so I'll be there briefly. But um, with that said, I want to experience like a new side of Paris. Like we're meeting up with some friends that have gone to the French Open for several years in a row. And I'm looking through forward to seeing it through their eyes, too, because, you know, it's always fun to share the experience with friends. Well, I can tell you something. The French Open is not the same anymore since Roger Federer isn't there anymore. Aw. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm only joking. I'm sure Federer. it's a wonderful time. So listen, any last words? How mm-hmm. can people find you if they want to connect with you, if they want to um, share that beautiful energy that you have, if they want to find out about one of your retreats or if they want to be your client, how would they find you? We'll put it in the show notes, but just mention okay. it here. Yeah, so I have <clears throat> an Instagram account. Um, it's my name, Trish underscore Mangold. And I also have a website, Elevate hyphen Vitality. If anyone is interested, I have a free three-day hydration protocol, which is in my link in my bio on my Instagram. So you can click on that. It'll take you to a site where you can get the things you might need if you don't already have them in your kitchen to the three-day hydration, which is really um, a great thing to do, at least seasonally, because um, we kind of have the hydration thing a little bit. It's outdated science. So um, this is really something that will push push the water into your cells, like really super hydrate. And we know that hydrate dehydration is affects four out of five adults. And that's the number one root cause of premature aging. So it's a good place to start just to um, hydrate the body. And then it also pulls the toxins out of the cells. So that's a, a fun little thing to do if you want to check that out. So, and then you can always reach me and let me know if you're interested in and pulling out, pulling back the layers of the onion. <laughs> I wanted to download because I was listening to you in LA about the hydration and I haven't done it. And that's the next thing that I'm going to do when we are finished with this podcast. And I want to thank you for spending time with me on Most Memorable Journeys and for being the beautiful person you are. Thank you for being on Most Memorable Journeys, Trish Mangold. Thank you, Elizabeth. Such a pleasure. If you enjoy my podcast, Please like, share and subscribe to my channel. 
You will find all the information in the show notes. <laughs>